You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Well, good morning, Kensington. Let's stand up as we worship Jesus this morning. Sing sometimes on this journey. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. My story isn't over. No, my story's just begun. Failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Yeah, failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does.
Well, church, it's so good to be here with you celebrating Jesus. Go ahead and have a seat and take a look at this video. It's also going to celebrate some of the things that God's doing here at Kensington this year. One of our longtime values here is to live and serve as a family. The past year has reinforced our passion to be together, to worship together, to serve together, and to lift one another up. After all, community is not just about belonging somewhere, but belonging to one another. So, like it or not, we're meant for each other. Here at Kensington, we love creating beautiful, memorable services to celebrate Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. We had more than 42,000 people celebrate these holidays with us, and we loved the weeks leading up to them too. Our four-week Advent series called Light Breaking Through brought us to Christmas Day with hearts ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the light of the world. Our 12-hour series and 30 Days with Jesus journal helped us to walk with Jesus through the final hours of his life before the cross. Have you ever heard us say that we prefer circles over rows? We believe that the next step for a weekend guest is to jump in, to get connected in a small group course or care initiative. Over the past year, we had hundreds of small groups meeting all over Metro Detroit and Traverse City, as well as incredible courses like Alpha and Bible Basics. I think it's just so essential for people who are part of the Kensington community to actually learn for themselves how the Bible is applicable for them. Our care initiatives also met people just where they're at with ongoing Celebrate Recovery meetings, divorce recovery, grief recovery, marriage mentoring, and blended family workshops. We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe a defining moment in the life of a believer is his or her baptism. And we as a community get to witness it. So much leads up to it. Jesus does a work in your life, then you respond with the courage to show publicly all that he's done in you privately. We fully believe that the church isn't a building, but is God's people. However, we have some beautiful, spacious facilities that we love to share with our community. In November, we welcomed Oakland and Macomb counties into our three permanent buildings as they processed thousands of local residents who had experienced flood damage. It was truly an all-hands-on-deck experience as we supported our communities. One of the biggest things that I always think of is if the church closed down, would we be missed? And so we want to be a church that's in the community and helping the community. So this was a great opportunity for us. Kensington founder Steve Andrews has had a long-time dream of having a multitude of people groups and languages worshiping God under one roof. At Troy campus on a Sunday morning, there are three services taking place in English, Telugu, and Portuguese. The beauty of us being inside the Kenston, an American church, and have the possibility of having our service in Portuguese kind of keeps our identity. Last fall, I was overwhelmed by the compassion and love that I saw just between our campuses, specifically Clarkson and Orion, as we came together at the Orion campus and opened the building because of the Oxford tragedy and gave kids and students and parents an opportunity to grieve. One of the most amazing parts of that evening was watching the students come forward, locking arms together and being able to pray with them and love on them and the school teachers that were there that came forward and we had a chance to love them and pray for them too and watching everybody in solidarity as a community come together. Um, that was remarkable to be able to be part of that. We're dedicated to planting, equipping and encouraging new churches all over the country. Each church that we support shares our passion for spreading God's love and making disciples. 
We recently celebrated two new churches which launched in the past year. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you to Kensington Church, because honestly, our church, New Anthem in Mount Clemens, wouldn't exist if it wasn't for this church. In the life of our church, we've seen over 600 people say yes to That's Jesus awesome. in the life of our church in the last three years. So good. But God has uniquely positioned me um, to speak Arabic and to be able to go after and have relationships with Arab Americans. And so that's going to be our little bit of an emphasis to go after the Arab American community. But we're also going to be a very multicultural church in the city of Sterling Heights. And the Move Out Network is a really a way to build community, to come alongside some incredible teams and organizations that are really rooted in relationship in the community. At Kensington, we're on a mission to move out beyond our four walls to bring the love of Jesus to those around us. We have more than 50 Move Out teams in Metro Detroit serving local communities by tutoring, gardening, coaching, cooking, fixing cars, doing disaster relief, supporting foster care, and mentoring international students. Our school partner teams serve local students in many ways at our 10 partner schools. We made an impact this year through one-on-one -on -one tutoring, guest readers and library support, staff encouragement by providing school supplies, uniforms, and a school-wide program for building character. Whether it's a student or staff member, you know, when somebody comes in and knows you, we see how important that is. The smiles, the kids who know that you're my person and that you're there consistently to see them. Such a positive message to them that they really are cared about. One Move Out team called Micah Six Community is in it for the long haul. They are transforming communities in Pontiac in an incredible, personal way. In fact, the leaders of this team moved to Pontiac to live where they serve. You can look at a census and decide what a neighborhood needs. You can look at maps and data and whatever and decide what a neighborhood needs. But uh, until we heard it from the community, until we heard it from people in the neighborhood that that was actually something they wanted or that was a space that... Uh, they actually cared about. We weren't going to jump in and try and force anything. Over the past few years, they have planted community gardens, started youth programs, and are even renovating a historic elementary school in Pontiac to be used for a community center. In the fall, our Afghan welcome team volunteers made a six-month commitment to come alongside four Afghan families resettling in the area. These volunteers have made the past year of their lives about welcoming and caring for these families during this huge adjustment. Other Move Out teams have stepped in to support these families too. The Full Throttle team has provided vehicles and the International Friendship team has connected the families with interpreters. The relationship between the, the, the member of this group is awesome and day by day they want to do something good for the family. So you be motivated to do something. If you don't do something good, it seems that you are one step behind. Our Traverse City campus has been busy this year building their own move out teams to serve the surrounding community. They now have seven teams, including home repairs, foster care support, community gardens, community barbecue, student mentoring, and care for the incarcerated. We continue to see momentum at our Traverse City location. Our teams are growing, our culture is thriving, and we're so excited about the buzz that's happening here. God is building us to be a community that exists for his purposes, and he's giving us an opportunity to invest in the next generation. Jesus is transforming and mobilizing Traverse City. Jesus instructed us to go into all the world and to make disciples. But I believe discipleship really has to begin here, right here at home. And the challenge is to invite men and women and children into a deepening relationship with Jesus. And that's critical for two reasons. First of all, 
it changes our lives. We become more like Christ. And then out of that, God begins to give us a vision for what we can do to serve the kingdom of God. And that's why we have all the ministry around in our communities. That's why we're serving in Pontiac. We're serving in Sterling Heights, in Detroit, up in Traverse City, because that's the mission that God has called us to. First, to become disciples and to grow in our discipleship and then to go make disciples in our community. So all the work that we do, providing material resources for people, helping with education, helping with people who are widowed, repairing cars, that's because disciples of Jesus do that. Because when you know Jesus, you listen to his voice, you respond to his call, and you discover the gifts and the passions he's given to you and you have impact. And so this last year has been extraordinary again of all the growth and ways that we've impacted our community. And as I look ahead to the next year, I am so super excited because I believe there's even more that God is gonna call us to do. He's gonna call you to do. There's a passion, there's a giftedness, there's a calling in your life that you haven't even discovered yet. And I would just encourage you to listen to that voice. And part of the way you do that is by jumping in. If you haven't done a Bible study, if you haven't joined a, a group, if you haven't joined a move out group, do that this year. Get involved and see what God would reveal to you. And let's believe together with great joy that God is gonna use Kensington Church not only to change our own lives, but to change our communities. I want to read something for you out of the book of Acts. This is at the earliest days of the church, and I think it's interesting because if you're going to kill anything by way of a movement, this was the moment to do it just shortly post Jesus' resurrection, and instead, this is what we read was happening. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They even sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And it says this, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you think about the earliest days of the church, like this moment right here in the church movement, you've just lost your founder, you've lost your leader, you're thrown into a, a whole moment of confusion and frustration, a lack of clarity, not, not the least of which you also have the Roman Empire, the power of the day, is continuing to press its thumb down on you in an attempt to annihilate you off of the planet. It is a movement that had no love with Rome. Like If you're going to destroy something, this was easily the moment to do it. And with everything stacked against it, not only did the church not disappear, not only did it continue to exist, it didn't even just thrive. It exploded across the globe over the next number of generations. And I just think that's so important to remember because as we look at even stuff like this that we just celebrated that God has allowed us to be a part of this last year, there are a lot of reasons to feel some similar kind of pressure against the church right now. Some of the ways that COVID even still is wreaking havoc in the church world. There, there are statistics that say that over the next five years, we could see a 30% reduction of churches just as the effect of COVID, lack of attendance, lack of participation, all the rest continue to have impact. We know that even just culture and the way that things have changed, the ways that things are moving and evolving, there is so many statistics even saying that the trend of the church is all going down. So there's a very real sense that in some ways the church is facing a pressure against it, maybe not to the extreme, but somewhat familiar to what the church experienced in its early days. And it never went away. It thrived under that pressure. 
This is just evidence of the fact that when we, like our ancestors, like those who came before us, put our trust in the gospel, put our allegiance to Jesus Christ, and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit while we open our hands to one another, there is nothing we can't accomplish together for the sake of the kingdom. And that is just the surface of it. So I'm thrilled about what God has used our community to do this last year. But I'm even more in anticipation for what God has in store for us. And I hope you feel that too. So lots of things to celebrate that's going on around Kensington right now. Uh, If you're tuning in with us, you are at the Orient Campus. And we're just thrilled to have you here with us today. Uh, A couple of things just to let you know that are happening on what we are calling our jump-in weekend. This is the time that we begin to spin everything back off from groups and getting in to serve and plugging in making sure that we continue to remember that the church is not a come and sit experience. It's a connect, it's a go, it is a movement, it is a mission, it's not a Sunday morning service. This is just a bit of it, tip of the iceberg. And so one of the things that we're doing today to continue to try to connect is we are relaunching off all of our student ministry programming. Last night was our junior high, tonight our high school in downtown Lake Orion is kicking off. Uh, At 1230 today, there's going to be a parent meeting. We call it Room 1300. It's just right over here. So virtually right after the service, there's going to be a parent meeting. I'm going to be a part of that with you. Uh, If you've got junior high students, high school students, I just encourage you to come to that. Here's some of what we're dreaming about, what we're envisioning for the future, how we're doubling down some of our efforts and our emphasis on really making sure that we are reaching the next generation Uh, But we're also doing a lot this weekend and the next several weeks to help you connect as well. Whether that's in a small group or whether that's in a place to connect and begin to serve and bring all of your gifting to bear. So I'm going to bring Char out. Char Kelly runs all of our discipleship stuff at Kensington. She's going to tell you a little bit more about what we're doing even this morning to try and help facilitate all of us getting more connected. Thanks, Craig. Man, watching that video, I don't know about you guys, doesn't it pump you up? It's like, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a spectator. And I, I love how Craig Mays ended the video saying, what are you going to do to jump in? You know, how, what is that step for you? So I just want to talk briefly today about what you can do right now in this month of September because we are launching all kinds of opportunities for you to connect and grow and find that place that um, takes this from being a place where you come to church on Sunday to a place that feels like your family, your home, your community, the place where you're, you're, you're off the bench and you're, you're playing on the field. So um, there there's a lot of groups that you can join. It's kind of overwhelming. There's a lot of opportunities that we have. So what I'm here to do today is to try to take that decision and make it just a little easier for you guys to take a step and jump in because a lot of things start in the next week or two. So if there's a slide up there, you can take your phone out and just text that number, 248-845-3058, and text the word group. I won't bother you, it does come to my phone, but what that does is it sends you a link to the website, to our groups page, where you can find out what all these groups are that we talk about. And you can actually shop around and look at things and figure out what might work for you to get something on your calendar to just try something this fall. I've talked to several people this morning who said, you know what, the hardest part was just taking that first step. Once I did, I never wanted to stop being a part of a group because it's where I found my growth and my community. We have um, Alpha starting next week. You've heard me talk about it before, maybe if you've been around. We get together here in the building on Mondays. We have dinner, we watch a film, and then we sit around and we break into small groups. We have real conversations about faith, questions, doubt, things that are going on in the real world. And it's a place to have safe and open dialogue, whether you're a believer or not. 
And you can invite people to that, and we'd love to see some more people come out and be a part of that. Same thing on Monday nights. We have our Bible Basics course, which takes you through the entire overarching story of the Bible so that you do not have to be intimidated about approaching the Bible yourself or joining a Bible study group. Those are just a couple of the groups, the courses that you'll see on the groups page. We also have care classes. We have opportunities for those of you who are in a place where you need healing from the hurts that are going on in your life right now. You can find grief share, divorce recovery, celebrate recovery. We have marriage resources for people who need mentorship or courses to get through some struggles in your marriage. Those are all things that are available for you to step into right now in the next couple of weeks and give it a try for this fall. And then we also have what we just call our small groups or our community groups. This is where a group of men or women or couples or singles or just a mixed group of people get together and each group does something unique. They might do a Bible study. They might watch a curriculum and have a discussion. We have a discussion guide that we create every week for service where you could get together with a group of people and say, let's dive into that and have discussion around these topics. This is to me where God really gets to your heart and transforms because you're connecting with other people and getting real about the things that God wants to work in your heart. So I don't want you to miss this opportunity to jump in this fall, but that's not the only thing we have that we really want you to consider for this fall. It's also time to consider a serving team on our Sunday teams. So if you come here on Sundays, do you realize all the teams of people that make this happen? And maybe this is your time to jump in and find your community in one of the serving teams on Sunday. So we have another number for you because this number is connected to Kim Kozal, who's gonna talk to you if you're interested in just navigating what kind of serving team might be the one for you, again, to get on the field and be part of this team. Maybe, is Ryan in here? He's gonna be at the, the um, information about K-Kids, jumping in with K-Kids. And then we've got Jesse, who's here to talk about students. You just heard about the students launching. There's so many cool opportunities for you to jump in and say, I could, I could meet with students. That's something I could be a part of. And then there's the production team. All of this stuff that happens in here, guys, you know how many volunteers are running the cameras and the lights and the, all of the things that I always say make the magic happen that I have no idea how it works, but maybe that's a behind-the-scenes thing that you're like, wow, I, I didn't realize I could be a part of that. Or maybe you're, you're an artist and you could be, be on the arts team. But, um, and Kim can talk to you about guest services, all of the people who welcome you, greet you, give you coffee, you know, do the traffic. So that's, that's a lot. And I know that. I just kind of firehosed all of that at you guys. But the truth is, if you haven't jumped in and gotten involved, please consider in the next week or so just trying something. And here's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. I'm going to ask everybody who is able to, to stand up. And we're going to take a few minutes right now to stand up, <laughs> if you're able. And we're going we're gonna to take just a few minutes right now during service because we really believe this is so valuable. We have different tables all around the outside the perimeter of the auditorium here. And if you're a person who's already connected in groups or already connected on a serving team, you already know how awesome that is, you could find your way to one of those tables to talk to the people who are curious about that. If you're a person who's like, I just would like to know a little bit more about this, just take a few minutes to walk around and maybe you'll meet somebody or make a connection or sign up for something or get more information about what your options are. If you're just not interested, eh, just chat with somebody near you. But we're going to take a few minutes to do this. You're going to have an opportunity to ask questions from people, get information. And we're going to take about five minutes right now to just do that. So 
Enjoy your shopping. I hope you find where you're gonna jump in this fall. All right, as much fun as this looks like, I'm gonna round you all back up now. For those of you that are still wondering, like, why did we just do that in the middle of church? Because I wanna always make sure we remember, church is not a come and a sit and a watch. Church is a community. It is a body, it is a people, and it is a people on mission for Jesus. And part of that is this. It's how we lock arms with one another in relationship and for the sake of the kingdom this is every bit as valuable as anything else that we do when we gather. So hopefully you found a spot. If you didn't, we're going to continue this in the lobby afterwards, and you'll have time to continue to ask questions, to interact, and go up to tables. This morning, uh, I have the privilege of stepping off the stage now and inviting up our speaker for the morning, who is no longer on screen, but here in person, Dr. Craig Mays. Uh, It has been A privilege to get to know Craig over the last couple of years that we've had the chance to work together in a variety of different roles. Uh, But this morning, Craig is going to be kicking us into the new series on questions that Jesus asked. And I think the most important question that Jesus ever asked is the one that Craig's going to lean into this morning was when he turned to his disciples after a lot of people didn't know what to make of him anymore, and many of them even left, and he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? So Craig is going to come up this morning and take it from here the uh, much wiser, much older, but not better looking Craig on the stage this morning. So, Dr. Mays. Oh, it's so awesome to be here. One of my, in my new role for this season as lead pastor, one of the things I do every week is I watch all six campuses, their services. So I've been here every week, but not actually here, but you've been in my living room and my wherever every week. So it's been really fun to do that. Um, I, I have to say, you guys are so blessed. I know you know this to have Craig as, as your regular teacher and as a lead pastor here. He's such a marvelous teacher, isn't he? Yes. Um, and I, since he mentioned I'm older, I've been doing this a lot longer than Craig, and, and, but I, I'm still learning things. So when I watch him, I learn. You want to know the main thing I've learned? How to hold your Bible. <laughs> now, in order to make this joke work, I had to grab one of my Bibles I can actually fold and half, and I happen to have an old NIV Bible that uh, I've used for many years. So anyhow, it is a, a great joy for me to be here. I would like to do one thing before we jump into where we're going to go today. Um, this is 9-11, 21 years ago on 9-11. A tragedy hit our country in New York and in Pennsylvania and Washington, D.C. And as time is going on, we kind of you know, forget a little bit about it. Be- because I spend most of my time in New York City, and I have for the last 14 years, it's not forgotten there. And I've had over these years opportunity to meet many, many people and have many friends who lost loved ones in that tragedy. In fact, one of my close friends is married to a woman whose husband was a fireman and he ran into the building, into the tower, and lost his life there. And she's, um, you know, she's got a good life now, but when I talk to her, like the tragedy, the pain, the loss never goes away. So I think it would be really good um, today, in this moment, if you would just join me for 30 seconds and what I'm going to ask you to do is just ask God to continue to bring healing uh, to the um, children and the, and the men and women who lost a loved one um, 21 years ago. Can we do that? So we'll just do that now.
God, you are the, the greatest of all healers because you can reach into a human heart that's broken in ways that isn't understandable uh, many times, still bring peace and comfort. So we ask for the work of your comfort to penetrate hearts today that as they think about this day, they go back 21 years ago when something very tragic happened to them that still impacts them today. We just ask for them to be drawn to you and to a community of people that can continue to help them uh, grow in their relationship with you and to find help from you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for that. Um, so one time, maybe it's probably 25 years ago, I was talking to someone who knew I went to Bible college and seminary, and he asked her a question. He said, so in seminary, do you think you spent much time in the Gospels? And as I thought about the curriculum, for some reason, it's all about theology and doctrine, and most of that came from Paul. So we spent so much time in the letters. We studied the Old Testament. We studied all of it. But when you actually think about it, I think I had one course in the Gospels. And so he gave me this challenge. He said, I would just challenge you. You're in ministry. I've been in ministry for over 40 years. But at that time, 25 years ago, he said, I would encourage you to read in the Gospels every day. Every day. So I took up the challenge. So for 25 years, most of the time, I've taken a couple sabbaticals from this, but most of the time, you can ask me any day, what did you read today? And it's going to be somewhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the chapter that I read. And I have to tell you, I would give you that challenge today. I think if you do that, it won't take 25 years. It will transform your lives. But here's one of the things it did for me. And it may not happen for you, but what it did for me is I began over time to feel more and more of a disconnect between what we typically do when we talk about God and we get together as a church and we talk about Jesus, how we do it and how Jesus did it. I just begin to see a real difference. And a lot of it was just in my own life, how I thought about the gospel, how I thought about teaching and preaching, how I thought about the work of the church. I began to see more and more of a disconnect and I began to feel like God was moving me in a little bit different direction. And that direction is what you're gonna hear from me today as I share where we're gonna go today. So here's how I want to begin, by just thinking back now to the story of the incarnation, God coming in to the world in the person of Jesus. If the story is true, and I don't say if because I don't believe it, but some of you may not, but if, so I'm saying, if the story is true, then how he came, the manner in which he came, what he did is really critical because it tells us so much about God. So think about it in this way. God shows up in Bethlehem, and for 30 years, they eventually end up in northern Israel, a small town called Nazareth, 30 years. 30 years, God is in the neighborhood, and nobody knows it. He's a carpenter. And then, when the moment comes for him to step into what we might call public ministry, he begins his communication with the human beings that God created and loved deeply. He begins with an invitation, and it's only three words. Come, follow me. That's what he said to us. And then if you rewind three years later, because his public ministry only spanned 10% about of his life on earth, three years later, if you, re, if you fast forward to that, he asked a question, it's a question we're going to look at today, and it's only six words. Who do you say that I am? And by the way, he gave the question, that question to the same one's three years earlier, that he invited to follow him. Follow me. Come follow me. Three years later, who do you say that I am? That spanned his ministry. That's the message that came from Jesus. Now, of course, he said a lot more, but we're going to focus on those nine words in our time together this morning. Just nine words. Now, before you get excited that we're going to get out early, nine words of Jesus. I have a lot more words that I'm going to share as we talk about that. 
But that's where we're going to go today. But before we do, we're going to take a moment to receive our offering. And you got to pay attention because we're making a shift today. It was so exciting to hear Craig and Shire share all the stuff. This is like launch Sunday, launch week, all these groups. I hope you get involved. I hope you get engaged. We're also going to launch something else that we haven't done in two and a half years, which is to pass something for the offering. And the reason why we stopped doing it like so many did is that there was a period of time when you didn't want to touch anything anybody else touched because you might be, you know, spreading COVID. But we feel like the time is right to begin to do this again. In the interim, so many of you, like me, have uh, taken to giving, giving digitally online and setting, even up a, setting up an automatic payment, which is really great. No matter how you give, by the way, it's all an act of worship. In every case, whether you're writing a check, you're giving online, or whatever you're doing, all this expresses to God, we belong to you, what we have belongs to you, we want to invest in the kingdom, and the work that we're doing, everything that you just saw up here in the lobby and everything that goes on happens because we invest together in it. So it doesn't really matter how you give, and we're not asking you to change anything at all. We just want to explain that we're going to start passing, um, not a pouch, I don't know what you guys used to do, did you do pouches in here? Right, we got rid of the pouches. I'm not sure why. Instead, we got these really attractive buckets uh, that we're going to pass. Uh, some change. You know, I'm the lead pastor. I don't know anything and everything that goes on. I don't want to know most of it, actually. But, um, but this is going to be a little bit complicated. And I feel more pressure about what I'm going to say now than giving my message, that I'm going to get this wrong. And then you'll get it wrong, and it's going to mess everything up. So let's, let's see if we can figure this out together. So what's going to happen is the ushers are going to come down, and then every other row... They're going to start the bucket. You will pass it down to the person next to you. And then if you're the first row, you will pass it behind. And then they will pass it down. And if you're that second row, when it gets to the end, you will put it on the ground and someone will come and pick it up. Is that, does that seem clear? Now, if you mess it up, I'm going to be watching. I'm going to shame you. I'm going to call you out. No, I won't do that. I promise I won't do that. So ushers, why don't you come down? And let's see if we can get this right. And then moving forward, we're going to do this. By the way, you can, you can still give in the box in the back. They're still there. But we, we heard from people who write checks and mail them in that they, they love the idea of writing a check. It feels more tangible to them. And so we want to let you know that you don't have to pay for the stamp now. You can just drop it off if you're here. And, and online, you can continue, obviously, to give the way that you always give. So thank you for joining me in the great kingdom work that Jesus is doing here. All right. Did I get that right? Everybody get it? Okay. So... As we dive into this, um, I want to start with a man that most of you know, know about, who was one of the first ones to follow Jesus. His name is Peter. Peter was a fisherman. Hard work. Don't think Lake St. Clair, bass boat, walleye. Think about hard work that required lots of muscles and grit is they would go out in the Sea of Galilee, they would drop down their nets, and the, the fish had to swim into the nets, which if it's a good day, they would, and then they had to haul the nets inside the boat, take them into shore, and then you would take the fish into the marketplace, and if that was your job, that's how you got paid. So we, we discovered this account early in the Gospels of Peter, who was fishing all night, because that's when the fish would swim into the nets, maybe because they couldn't see in the dark water, I don't know, but that's when you would fish. And so Peter's been all out all night fishing, and he doesn't catch anything, nothing, not one fish. And so he pulls in the nets, he comes into shore, pulls the boat up on shore. One of the jobs that they had to do every day was to clean the nets so they would last longer, so the nets are now on shore, and there Peter is scrubbing the nets. What do you think was in his mind? Because 
nothing to take to the market means not, no money to take home. So I would imagine that he was discouraged, maybe anxious. Hope it's better tomorrow. He's going to go home, try to get some sleep, probably a restless day. And when the sun sets, he'll push out again. So this is what's going on for Peter. In the meantime, just a little ways down the shoreline, he notices something's going on. This man named Jesus has appeared on the scene, and he's teaching a group of people, and the group gets bigger and bigger, and now a crowd is gathered. So I see Peter kind of scrubbing, kind of looking, kind of scrubbing, kind of looking. And then at one point, Jesus, this is from Luke 5, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, this is Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So again, got to get this done, got to go home, hope it's better. And then Jesus is, all of a sudden he looks, here's Jesus getting into his boat. And then he says, hey, uh, can you help me here, push out a little ways? Maybe Jesus was getting back into the water because the crowd was getting bigger, so let me get a better vantage point to teach. So Peter agrees. Don't know why. He agrees. He comes. He sits in the boat. Jesus is sitting down teaching the crowd now. When he gets all done, and by the way, we don't know one thing that Jesus taught. It's not recorded for us. But Peter, obviously, was a captive audience. He heard everything he had to say, which maybe explains what happens next. So when they get all done, Peter's probably thinking, okay, good, uh, good. that was a real nice sermon, but I got to get this done and I got to get home and get some rest. Instead, um, Jesus asked Peter this. He says, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, I don't know if any of you men or women are fishermen, like Lake St. Clair type fishermen, but you know when to go and not to go. You know when they're going to bite, when they're not going to bite. So Peter, being an excellent, experienced fisherman, knew that the worst time to fish was right now. When the sun is up in the sky, if you didn't catch anything all night, you're not going to catch anything during the day. Uh, I, could, I could see Peter arguing with Jesus quite a bit. In fact, he actually did argue with him because he said, I fished all night and I didn't catch anything. That's arguing with Jesus. He didn't know he was God, but he's arguing with God. You guys ever argue with God? I'm an expert at it. You want what? No, you don't understand. No, uh, did you forget about? That doesn't make any sense because if, I mean, I have these conversations all the time when I think God is asking me to do something. But Peter doesn't do that. Amazingly, what he does is he actually does what Jesus says. He pushes out into the water. He lets down his nets, probably thinking, waste of time, waste of time. And then when he goes to pull the nets in, there's so many that he has to call to shore and his friends, John and others, says, bring your boats out, and they filled both boats right to the top where the water's right there on the edge about to swamp the boats. Best catch of his life. This is like a stellar moment in his career as a fisherman. He's going to tell this story forever. You know the one that got away? They didn't get away. They filled two boats. He brings them up on shore, and it's got to be astonishing. And if I'm Peter, because I know myself, and many of you would do this, right away you're thinking about Jesus differently not in the way you think, I'm going to say. It's like, if I can just get him to fish with me every day. In fact, I'm going to sell enough fish today from this now that I'm going to go buy five more boats. I'm going to create a fleet, put up a sign, Peter and friends, and we're going to be the best fishing uh, organization any, any place in the world. We're going to kill it. 
My career is set. I'm going to become famous. I'm going to become wealthy. I'm going to be able to build a bigger house. This is awesome. Why would you not go that direction? But instead, Jesus invites him, and here's the three words of invitation. He actually says to him, come, follow me. Now, if you know the story, you know the rest of the verse, uh, and I'll make you fishers of men. But what he invited him to was to follow him, and astonishingly, we're told, at once they left their nets and followed him. So it wasn't just Peter, it was the other fishermen, it was, it was James and John and Andrew that were there with him. They left everything in that moment to follow Jesus. They had heard enough and seen enough to know that maybe this is worth us pursuing further. Now, the thing that I want you to reflect on for just a moment, as I said, as I started, that when God comes to humanity and begins um, the work that he came to do, what is he going to say to them? What is he going to say to humanity? Is he going to get out a bullhorn and start preaching and condemning or judging or whatever he was going to do? No, his invitation is it's so gentle. It's so not arm-twisting. It's come. Come, follow me. And in that following, in the, in the day, this is what a rabbi would do to get students or disciples. And we use that word disciple and we talk about discipleship. Uh, Shar, who is up here, is a good friend of mine, is, is your awesome discipleship director. But outside of church, we don't use the word discipleship very often. So probably a better word would be a word like apprentice or student. You know, what does an apprentice do? Apprentice comes alongside someone that knows something they don't know, and they learn by being with that person to learn about it, how to do that, how to get good at that, how to become an expert at that. So Jesus, when he says, come follow me, he was inviting people into what we might call discipleship, but it was really, come and learn from me. So remember, if this is God, and I believe it is, God is saying to humanity, why don't you come and learn from me? Why don't you come and learn? That's how it all began, with this invitation to come and be with Jesus. Now, the, the challenge at this time was this. Because what we're going to see in the next few moments is that when Jesus came, it created all this controversy. I mean, the buzz around all of Israel is, who is this Jesus? And they were very divided about the answer to that question. I mean, they were Fox News, CNN divided. Every night, that's who they watched. And if you went to one, they would say, no, 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 he's not. And the other would say, no, yes, he is. And what they were wondering is, is this the Messiah or the Christ or the anointed one? All three of those are the same word, the same thing. One's Hebrew, one's Greek, brought into English. Is this the one we've been waiting for, waiting for, the one prophesied, the one that God said was going to come and redeem Israel and all the world? But the last time they heard from God had been 500 years ago. The last prophet to speak was Malachi, and then 500 years not a whisper from heaven. And actually, in the interim, they've lost their independence. Rome has come in, taken over. They're under Roman rule. God is silent. They've got to be discouraged. Probably very little hope that's left. So when Jesus shows up and starts like making fish come into nets, and he heals people, and he multiplies bread, and he does all this, like obviously some were saying, could this be the one? Could this be the one? And others were saying, no, I don't think so because it doesn't line up for all these reasons. One of the last prophecies uh, was from the book, uh, Prophet of Ze Zechariah, the second to the last book in the Old Testament. And you see the contrast even in this verse. He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. 
See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. If you stop there, okay, this is great. But then what does it say? Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. No, kings sit on thrones, not donkeys. Actually, a small little donkey, which is how he would come into Jerusalem before he was put to death. So the expectation was for a conquering king hero to come in who would sit on the throne, and Jesus certainly did not measure up to that. Even though he did these amazing things, people said he taught with authority like no one else. He, he had these miracles. He calmed the storm, things that you, that you would have to take notice. So he drew, he drew crowds, but the people really in charge, kind of the experts, said, no, 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 it's not right. He's not measuring up. In fact, let me share just a few examples of this. Um, in, in Luke chapter 4 is when Jesus gave his very first message. He's in the synagogue. He read from the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and then he gave a message after it. And then he sat down, and then a debate ensued, and here's how the debate ended. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Would you not agree that's not the best response for your very first message? I mean, this is my first time at Lake Orion. I'm a little nervous right now. You want to know why I'm nervous? Because when I was driving down Dutton Road to come here, I saw this big hill. Is that a, like a landfill? Because I thought, this is pretty flat here. If I do really poorly, there's no brow of a hill. But now I realize that somewhere down here a little bit, there is one. But anyhow, that's how we started. Controversy right away. Rejection. Um, it goes on. Um, this is in Luke chapter, um, I'm sorry, John chapter 7. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet, meaning the one, the anointed one. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others ask, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem in the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of him. The people were divided because of him. Again, that was the buzz. Who is this Jesus? Who is he really? Matthew chapter 13. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. God shows up and says, come, and follow, come follow me. But mostly rejected. In fact, you know his own family? One time, he had a large crowd around him, and his own family came in, and they tried to seize him because they thought he was crazy. He got accused of being demon-possessed himself. He got accused of being a madman. I mean, this is what Jesus encountered. This is what God encountered when he came among human beings because their expectation was for something far different than who he actually was. And the only way you could know who he actually was is if you responded to the invitation, come follow me. Let me apprentice you. Let me show you about life. You know, one of the great tragedies in, in my own life was that, uh, growing up, is that... Um, I was introduced to a God who I greatly feared, who wasn't for me. I never heard the invitation to come follow me. I heard believe in me or else. In fact, I, I hate to share the story because it's so awful, but I'm going to share it anyhow. When I was five years old, I was living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, going to a church. I won't tell you the denomination. It doesn't matter, actually, because all denominations can do this. But um, I was five years old in, in I'm 67. This is 62 years ago. It is so vivid. I can could, I could close my eyes and I can picture it. Basement of the church, 
accordion walls that they would use to close off little classrooms, tile floor. We're sitting on the floor. We have his teacher. It's a man. He's tall. Of course, when you're five, everybody's tall. He's got glasses on, balding. I can picture him. I don't know his name. And he had a lesson that went like this. Any of you ever been burned before? So if you're five years old and you get to ask that question, you want to tell your story. I wanted to tell my story. My story was camping up at Interlochen State Park with my family and we're roasting marshmallows and I grabbed the wrong end of the marshmallow thing after I'd been in the fire and I got the imprint right in my hand and I'm screaming and crying. My mom's putting butter. They used to put butter on burns. That's just so weird. Um, and so I tell that story. The girl next to me tells a story of reaching up on the counter and pulling her dad's coffee and it went all over. She had to go to ER all of that. So we all tell our stories. The teacher's letting us all tell our stories. And then he says, so we, I just want to let you know the good news. Well, it's kind of bad first. Um, if you don't accept Jesus as your Savior, when you die, you will be burned like that over your whole body forever and ever without end. And there's no mom to put butter on anything and no ER to go to. How many of you would like to accept Jesus? 100% conversion. 100%. <laughs> like, it worked. I certainly raised my hand. I got saved that day. All right? Doesn't that sound a little different than, come, follow me? That's what God said. He didn't even say, and you're going to have to listen to me all the way to the end, but let me just say this. He didn't say, come and believe in me, or believe me. He said, come, follow me, because he was inviting us in to begin to explore a relationship with God who deeply loved us, who had created us. So he began his ministry with three words, come follow me. And there were many who followed them. And I will say that in the following, many of them did not really know exactly who he was following. This is something that they would discover over the years. So let's come now to the question. Six words. And the question, by the way, is given to the same men, and I believe by then women, because many disciples had been formed over, after three years. Many disciples. Three, 12 that became apostles, kind of the leaders, but many disciples at this time. And they had all responded to the invitation in some way, come follow me. And in those three years, they got to know him. They heard what he taught. They saw what he did. They, they saw how he acted. They saw how he responded when he was um, not treated well. They learned about turning the other cheek and loving your enemy and doing, doing to others as you would have them do to you. All the beautiful teachings of God through Jesus. So now the question comes, and he begins, it's a couple questions, but here's how he, how he begins. So he, uh, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Uh, I love their answer because I think it's incomplete on purpose, because there's a lot of bad things being said about Jesus. Here's what they said. Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, and, or one of the prophets. They didn't say, madman, crazy man, demon-possessed, all the other things that they were saying. But that's how they answered. But now, I like to think, I, just, I have an active imagination. I always, I always close my eyes and I just, see, I just see this unfolding. That after hearing all that, I think there's a pause. I think I see Jesus looking at each of the ones that were there. Eye contact. Those that had agreed to follow him, had been with him, had learned from him, apprenticed under him, got to know who he was. And for Jesus, I think this was the key moment. After all this now, who do you say that I am? What about you? And I love Peter um, because he was always quick to answer even when he got the wrong answer. 
But without hesitation, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. How did he come to know that? Did he know all of that when he first left his nets and followed him? Left his lucrative career? I don't think so. He had some inkling, maybe a little bit. The gospels hint that, that certainly he knew that a miracle had occurred. But he invited him to follow him. Before he popped the question, who do you say that I am? One of the things I've learned by reading the gospels over and over these years, I believe, is that in many cases, discipleship precedes faith. What I mean by that is the apprentice comes alongside of Jesus not knowing or being convinced. Like if you join an alpha group, we don't say check the box. You think Jesus is the son of God. We say come and see. Follow. Investigate. Be curious. And in that process, because of that, when Jesus popped the question finally, he knew. He had discovered Jesus for who he really was, the son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one we've been waiting for. I believe it. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say for so many years I got this so wrong. In New York City, when we planted a church, Kensington sent my wife and I and about 20 people, including Shar and Tim Kelly. Shar was with us for four or five years in New York City to plant a church called Communitas. It still exists. In fact, my wife right now is there getting ready to have the service there in New York City. Um, the very first year we were there, we weren't gathering officially. It was kind of unofficial, but people were still coming that weren't part of our launch team. And so a guy shows up one day. His name is Harry. He's Jewish. I found out in the very first conversation that he'd gotten his degree in philosophy. He loved philosophy. I like philosophy, but I'm not really like a philosopher. So I was so glad when we were talking that he mentioned Soren Kierkegaard because he's one that I read and liked. So I said, oh, the categorical imperative really impressed him. Shouldn't have been impressed. That was like the one thing I knew to say. But because of that, he said, hey, you want to hey, get coffee and talk? I'm Jewish, but would you, let, would you meet with me? I said, sure. So we started meeting in a Starbucks at, on Park Avenue, right in Manhattan, and 27th Street. The part Starbucks is still there. He and I still meet there occasionally. So first couple of weeks, he's throwing all these hard questions at me about the Bible, about the Old Testament, about the New Testament, about Jesus, why Jesus can't be the Messiah, all kinds of moral questions, everything. Um, and then after the third meeting, he asked a question that changed how I see ministry and what I'm talking about today. He said to me, Craig, are you only meeting with me to try to convert me? Am I a project for you? Oh, what do I do? So I did the only Christian thing I could do, and I lied. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm confessing my sin right now. I was so embarrassed. I said, I said, oh, no, no, I just love meeting with you, Harry, which that part was true. So I went home, and I thought about it all week, and God, what do I do now? Because he was a project, and then I lied to him. So it was real clear what to do. So the next time we got together, a week later, sitting in the Starbucks at our table with our lattes. He, he, had, he said, hey, I got, I got a couple things for you today. And I said, oh, wait, before we go that, I want to rewind to last week. You know when you asked me that question? Um, I lied to you. You were a project. Were. You're not now. I'm really sorry. And he said to me, he, and then he said, well, thank you for saying that because you need to know I'll never become a Christian. I'm Jewish. It's my family. It's my history. It's my culture. It's never going to happen. But I do enjoy talking with you. And I said, well, I do too. You're challenging me. You're going to make me a better Christian because <laughs> I'm learning the Bible more. You're asking me all these hard questions, whatever. So let's keep doing this. If you want to do it, I'm, I'm game. So we, we kept meeting. Well, he decided with his fiance to um, join our, we had a Monday night Bible study in our apartment. So he started coming 
and it came through all through the summer. We got into the fall, and um, we kept meeting at Starbucks once a week. And after one evening near the end of our Bible study, he said, I want to share something. And he started to talk, and he started to cry. And he said, I don't know how it happened, but I woke up this morning, and I believe Jesus is my Messiah. And I was shocked. Like, how did this happen? Well, when Peter answered the question right, here's what Jesus said back to him. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, not by Craig Mays. He can't do that. But by, but by my Father in heaven. And so this changed in New York City, but any place I am, I'm working in Michigan now, that when I encounter people, the, the thing I'm first convinced about, no matter who they are, what they believe, is they are deeply loved by God. And my job is to deeply love them. And they're not a project. Number two, if I love them, though, I should find a way to get them in some proximity to Jesus. Because Jesus can change your life. And unfortunately, my message I heard at five years old is God is good for what happens when you die. Jesus said, no, I'm good for you for what happens while you're living. Come and follow me. Watch me change everything in your life. And along the way, when you're ready, I'm going to pop the question, who do you say that I am? Now, sometimes the invitation and question can be a week apart. I've seen that. Actually, it can be on one plane flight. The person's next to you. But often I've seen it's a journey that people go on. And I'm so glad that Kensington, I believe, when I first came here in the year 2000, um, that this is a place where we, we just encourage and invite people to come and be on a journey. No arm twisting, no preaching, yelling, screaming, conjoling to you to get to believe anything, but let's introduce you to Jesus. To see the beauty of who he is, how deeply he loves you, what he can do if you apprentice under him and begin to follow him, actually follow him and submit to him. Because Jesus said, go make disciples, not believers. There's a difference. The book of James says that demons believe and they perish. They believe all the right truth and doctrine. Jesus doesn't want you to believe all the right things. He wants you to follow him. And in the following him, you'll begin over time to believe the right things. Follow him. So the way I'd like to wrap things up here is this. There were two friends. Let's go back to Peter now. About the same time that he caught all those fish, there were two friends, Philip and Nathaniel. And Philip had met Jesus, and he got convinced pretty early on, like right away almost. He wasn't 100% certain, but Philip said, he might be the one. He might be the anointed one. He might be the Messiah. And because he had a good friend, Nathaniel, well, you gotta go t- I got to go tell my friend. So he runs to Nathaniel and tells him, hey, I think I found the one. I think this could be the one. This could be the Messiah. And Nathaniel, the way he's wired, apparently is skeptical somewhat. He said, no, it doesn't add up. He's from Nazareth. Jesus is from Nazareth. And the, clearly the prophecies say he doesn't come from Nazareth. And Philip, rather than trying to convince him, says, greatest invitation, I think, of all. Come and see. Come and see. So I believe Jesus here right now, it's his voice way more important than mine. And I don't know most of you, so I don't know where you're at in your own journey. So let me just make some guesses where people might be. Some have never responded to the invitation to follow me. And what Shar and Craig and others have shared today, what the video shared today is, we would love for you to follow him. 
doesn't mean you're all in. That means that there's just enough curiosity, interest, prompting in your heart, intrigue, maybe need that you have, that in Jesus is just attractive enough that you'll take some steps. Coming to church is a step. Watching online is a step. An Alpha course is a step. A Bible Basics is a step. Celebrate Recovery is a step. All the things that we do, the Bible studies, they're all groups, they're all steps to come and see or to investigate or to begin to follow. So that's the first group. The second group, I would say, are those of you that have responded to the follow me, but you haven't quite heard the question yet. And I don't ever want someone to believe, say they believe something, or feel like they have to believe something that they don't actually believe. So I'm totally confident in the work of God, like in my friend Harry, who's now one of my best friends. I officiated his wedding. It was a Jewish Christian wedding, really goofy wedding that I it was ill-prepared for. The great, I have to tell you this story. I'm kind of out of time, but I just have to tell you this real quickly. At the reception, his, his family was so angry when he became a Christian. They were so angry. And now I'm going to go do this wedding. He said, my, the, my grandmother, typical stereotype Jewish grandmother, may actually during the ceremony come down and start beating you with her cane. And I laughed, and he goes, no, I'm serious. <laughs> no. So I got through the ceremony. She didn't. She sat in the back, and then two things happened. As we were waiting for the reception, I walked by her, and she grabbed my hand, pulled me down. She's a little 80-year-old, but strong, pulled me down eye to eye and said, thank you for honoring our family in the way you did the service. What is it like to be a pastor? So we had a conversation. And then the dad at the reception came over and said, um, I'm in New York City every now and then. Um, could, I, could we get coffee? I'd like to know how anyone could believe that Jesus rose from the dead. See, so God at work, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but our Father who is in heaven. And so if you're that, if you're that person today... Well, you're not sure, I don't want you to rush to it, but I want your heart to be open that Jesus might be saying to you the question asking, who do you say that I am? And maybe today or this week or this month is the time when you can say, I'm ready to take that step. And then the third group would be people like me that I've been convinced for a while that Jesus is indeed God incarnate. And he's a lover of my soul and my life and he's my source of wisdom and direction and hope and comfort and all of that. But I don't always live like he is. I want, I want more. I want more. And we're going to sing a song in a moment where we affirm that he is the king of kings. And if he's my king, then I want to be under his rule and authority. I want to live with his wisdom and his care and his protection because that's how the world has changed. Our lives are changed. The world has changed. And so, God, I just want to give this to you now because this is your work. It's not my work. It's only your work. You know each story in this room you know each person from the moment they were conceived until this very, very moment. You know their concerns, their questions, their heartaches, their joys, their sorrows. You know all of that. You love them deeply. Whatever is needed today, whatever can happen today in these closing moments, God, I ask that you would do that work. I pray this in your name. Amen. about your life I hear you speaking but who do you say I am some say a prophet some say a priest come back to life you keep asking but who do you say I am I 
One of the things that the Bible tells us the angels are on task for in eternity, even right now, while we sing, you know what they're doing? They're singing and they're praising Jesus. And I just said it's thought this morning. I don't know what an angel's voice sounds like, but I have a sense that the two of you make them jealous. Good grief. Uh, by the way, rolling it's one thing. It's if you can stick it in your back pocket. That's next level, so just work on it. Here's the incredible thing about the question. Who do you say that I am? Because some of you have answered it. You answered it like Peter. You've answered it like the disciples. You are the Christ. You are the living God. But it's a question that you should never stop trying to answer because I think it's a question that God will continue to invite us to ask. You're like, well, I already answered it. I think he's, I think he's God. But here's the thing, the more that you walk with him, the more that question will unfold, not just that he's God, but the depth of what it means that he's God. I was five years old and I had a moment, a lot like yours, a little less with the you're gonna be burned fear, but it was a five-year-old moment where God unlocked my mind. Enough that at five, as best you can, I believed that there was a God. 
The problem is the environment I grew up in, God was very authoritarian. He was angry. He was more like, in my mind, he was like, he was like an angry grandfather. Or, or no apologies to all the grandfathers. But he was just that, you know, like he loved me, but he was always ticked off at me because I just couldn't measure up. And as time went on, there was a clear moment, I remember specifically in high school, where for the first time ever, I genuinely began to understand and believe that he loved me. Like, I'd already believed he was God, but the more I kept leaning into the question, who do you say I am, and letting him ask that to my soul, the more I realized that the depth of that question continues to peel back the layers of who he is. God, yes, but the God who loves me, not the God who just always wants to condemn me. And then I remember the day that I had this thought. God doesn't just love me, he likes me. Do you realize that? God likes you. Like, well, if you love somebody, you like them. No, you don't. One word, family. Like, there's just people, right? There's people that we love, we don't necessarily like. There's a verse, it's Zephaniah 3:15, 17, that says, God delights over you with singing. You don't just sing. He says, he delights over you. He likes you. So, I don't know where you're at in the range of asking the question, Hearing God whisper it to you and answer it back, who do you say that I am? But I will tell you this, never stop hearing him ask it. Never stop responding to it because there is never an end to that question. Because as you keep leaning into it, God keeps peeling back layer after layer after layer of the glory of who he is and what it is that he has made you form relationship with himself. So I appreciate Craig this morning. I just appreciate you being with us and just putting that question in front of us. As you walk out the doors, just remember today, launch Sunday, kickoff Sunday, we would love to have you. Didn't have a chance at the tables in here, go ahead and visit them on the way out the doors. Continue to explore what it means to make this place more than a service for your community and your church. Have a great Sunday. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.